0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to Behind the Bar, a podcast that talks about dance conversations beyond the dance room. Uh, my name is Krista.
1: My name's Taylor.
0: And this is our podcast. Okay, so let's jump in as to why we started this podcast. So welcome to episode one of Behind the Bar. And the reason I started this podcast was to give conversation to things that happen in our studio and probably happen in your studio as well uh, that never really feels normal. Things that you think are only happening to yourself. But I can tell you that they're probably happening to everybody else as well. Running a dance studio or even teaching dance can be an isolating job at times. Uh, Depending on the type of community you're in, sometimes you don't talk, get along, or work along with other dance schools in your area. Dance is a highly competitive activity, it's a highly competitive business, and so quite often at the end of the day, we have nobody else to talk to, nobody who fully relates to our passion, and nobody who's talking about what's really happening. So, we are going to jump into that through all of our podcasts moving forward.
1: Yeah, I think that's a pretty good way to sum it up. (laughs)
0: Good way to sum it up. Yeah. So I have Taylor with me, my lovely co-host. And the cool thing about Taylor is she actually has a perspective of no dance. She comes to us with no dance experience. Uh, She is my office manager at the studio that I own. And I thought it was really cool to have this outside perspective of somebody who you know, is new to the world. As dancers, our minds work a certain way, we set this certain expectation, but quite often our customers have no clue about dance as well. And a lot of the frustration comes from us not understanding why they don't understand what we think is just normal day-to-day life. So a great way I've had this explained to me is my girlfriend owned a studio, she put her child in soccer, and they were all excited, and they went to the first soccer game, and they got there and they realized there was nowhere to sit and that she had to bring her own soccer chair or whatever you call those chairs. I don't know. I don't do the soccer <laughs> thing.
1: <laughs> anyway. Camping chair, Camping chairs, The chair.
0: And she was mind blown that there was nowhere to sit. But it was something so simple that nobody had explained to her because she also had grown up in the dance world, not in a sport world like soccer. And so it, it's just interesting. The little things that we don't think of that we don't necessarily think to um, explain to people. Through these podcasts, as we talk about situations and stories, I'll also be able to tell you, you know, what I learned from that and maybe pass on some information to you guys as to different ways you can approach things with your customers. All right, so Taylor, how about we start with you having no dance experience um, and get to know about you a little bit more?
1: Yeah. I have never danced. Well, that's... Okay, so I danced probably when I was like four or five as like every child does and then I actually switched to soccer
0: (laughs) so you knew the soccer chair was needed the soccer
1: chair is something that goes way back with me soccer chair the rugby chair all the chairs on all the fields um but I do actually I'm dabbling in dance at the moment I'm taking an adult ballet class which is new to me but we're seeing where it goes. It's never too late to start. It's never too late to start. How about you share
0: your story, Taylor, about when you did dance when you were four, about how your performance went for you?
1: Um, okay. Okay, sure. So, um, it was our Christmas recital. And as everyone knows, Christmas recitals with kids have a lot of variables. <laughs> they're, they're very unpredictable. So, me being me, I really do enjoy the spotlight. If it is not on me, I'm a little, I'm a little tense. So essentially I was dressed up as an elf in these boxes. We were put in boxes. First of all, I don't know who in the heck would put a four-year-old in a box and expect them to stay there. Some of our listeners may have done that, (laughs) but I mean, it sounds like a terrifying and very risky experience. Um, But yeah, my family actually has like home footage of me and I'm completely off and we're supposed to jump out of this box and be so happy and I kicked the box over and I just went ham (laughs) I did my own thing and I was asked not to come back so (laughs) there's that I'm pretty sure my parents just lied to me and said that they didn't want me in dance anymore but you know I switched to something more my speed which was kicking a ball around a field in the cold. Right,
0: instead of kicking the box over on stage.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, somewhere deep in the archives, there's videos of me in dance. So that was the end of your dance career. Yeah, you know, it was short-lived. I won't be joining the Moscow Ballet anytime soon. (laughs) But... (laughs) But
0: That's that. Okay, so my experience was obviously a little bit different. Um, I love dance. (laughs) So when I was little, I wanted my grandma... Uh, She tapped when she was little and she used to always show me her time steps and her her basic like shuffles and everything from tap. And I would copy her and I wanted to tap, 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 tap. So when I was four, my mom took me to our local studio to do tap. And back then, and it's definitely changed a lot now, and some studios still follow this method. But back then, you had to start with ballet. You couldn't be a little baby coming into tap. You were going to ballet until a certain age. You could jazz finally at a certain age, etc., etc. So I had to take ballet. And I didn't want to, but that was the only option if I wanted to go to dance class. Right. Anyway, I loved it. I loved it right from the start. I totally took to it. I showed up all the time. <laughs> um, uh, my first experience on stage, I also, um, I like to follow rules. I really like to listen to the teacher. Uh, So I obviously had that dance teacher inside my blood. So our first experience on the stage was us doing a nursery rhyme recital, doing there was a crooked man who had a crooked house. And we would link arms and march backwards with our arms linked. Right. And on the day of dress rehearsal, we were asked to, our teacher realized that linking arms with these four-year-old children with their hands above their heads in a house position Really didn't work. We'd it's p-
1: just, I feel like that's way too much. It's right? chaos.
0: We'd pull each other over, <laughs> etc. cetera. I obviously didn't because I was following those rules. <laughs> so we were told, mm-hmm. and I, I remember it so clear because for some reason she held a mic, maybe some of you do this, I don't, she held a microphone during the dress rehearsal and she said, no more linking arms, girls. And we were like, okay, so we practiced without the arm link, but on the night of the show, whoever was beside me, I don't know, linked arms with me. And I was so upset that she didn't follow the rules that I hit her on stage, just turned and whacked her.
1: <laughs> so. Why can I picture you as a grown woman doing the exact the same thing? thing?
0: I was a rule follower. And so the video of it is like my parent, my dad's holding the video camera and they're watching. I hit the girl and then it's just the floor because my dad is laughing so hard and the video camera's everywhere. Anyways, from that point on... Obviously, my family knew that I took (laughs) dance very seriously. I was really going to be committed to this activity. Yeah. And so they embraced it. And I danced my whole life. And I finally got to tap when I was, I think it was seven Mm -hmm. years old, we were allowed to tap. And then when I was nine, we were allowed to jazz. Um, And I took everything. Hip-hop didn't really exist or come into my studio much until my later years when I was 12, 13, Uh, just because hip-hop still wasn't a mainstream thing at that point. Right. So, yeah, I grew up taking my ballet tap jazz, doing my examinations, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Dance has really evolved now where we don't have to do that. We can start our babies out in little kid preschool programs. And it's, you know, it's a a hard conversation because some of it is you lose that like that discipline. I think that ballet teaches right from day one where you're in Mm and you're in your color coded a leotard and tights and you're like you know exactly where you're supposed to be now it's you know you're allowed to tap and ballet and one and there's preschool songs which is great that's the way the world is more kids are Mm -hmm. dancing I think because now dance is offered for all yeah which is the philosophy I followed so dance was so structured and rigid and um it could be even like almost scary at times like things were a very certain way when I danced when I opened my studio I wanted it to be inclusive to all. So anybody could come. It didn't matter on your body, shape, size, ability, recreational, competitive, company, whatever you want to be, you're welcome inside our doors. Yeah. Uh, Where I grew up dancing, it was very like, you should, you know, look a certain way. You have to do a certain thing. You follow this. And that creates, I think that creates a lot of the stigma that the dance world.
1: 100%. Because even growing up um, and being like in high school when I was younger, It was always like the dance girls were very much dance girls, you know, and I feel like it forms like a certain, like you said, a stigma. It's definitely something that a lot of people don't talk about because body inclusivity has only just started to pop up more and it's only started to grow, which is great. Um, Especially at our studio, you see a whole bunch of different people from different backgrounds, people different body types, shapes, anything and everything, which is amazing. But it didn't always used to be that way. It was always a very ballet look.
0: Yeah. And that still exists. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, and also the, lots well, these kids cuz they're dancing all the time, they are very at, they're athletic, right? The oh, like dance is 100% a sport. I tell all their brothers all the time. Maybe we you should tell the
1: parents that. Tell the parents that as
0: well. We could definitely <laughs> probably out squat them, outrun them. Our endurance levels are higher. My their mm-hmm. our, their cores are 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 stronger. Um, so you do you do get an athletic build, which is fantastic. Oh,
1: Oh, one hundred percent.
0: But yeah, I mean, also you have your recreationals, and they should be allowed to dance too. And it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. So we've really embraced that at mm-hmm. our studio. It doesn't have to be perfect. Or this perfect image of what everybody thinks a ballerina is going to look like. Yeah. It doesn't matter as long as you're working your hardest and the abilities are there no matter what your, your body shape is. So anyway, that was my guiding philosophy getting started. And so how I got started was uh, I was teaching at my local studio. Like as I became 16, 17, I started to get a few baby classes. Mm-hmm. Very small, like a couple of kids once a week. Really excited to teach. I loved it. Graduated from high school. I always knew I wanted to be a teacher of some sort. I never thought I would be a dance teacher. So I went to university to be a teacher. I was in my third year of university and I was still teaching for our local studio that I grew up in and the owner, so it was an interesting dynamic because the owner of our studio wasn't a dancer. She just owned a center that had music, a music store, and dance in it, Right. and so she just kind of let us do whatever we wanted upstairs as dancers. We just did whatever we wanted. Our studios were upstairs. The teachers taught their things. She paid the bills, and that was like it.
1: That was it. That was perfect. It. So I
0: think I don't know what of that experience. It would be interesting to talk to her now. I don't know what that experience was like for her because she honestly knew nothing. We did everything, which was great. She she was great. She paid the bills. End of the day, it was fine. Um, and obviously, it probably helped her to pay her bills having a music a music store, right? Like there's yeah. like pianos and guitars and music books plus music lessons plus, right? So it was a very arts focused building. Anyway, she decided after, you know, the years of, of hard work and drama that the dance world brings to get out of dance. So she was like, I'm selling the studio. And I decided I'm going to buy the studio. So I went to my parents and I was lucky. Um, my dad has been, I grew up in business. My dad's been in business his whole life. He helped me do up a business plan so I could go to the bank. I got somehow, and I'm actually blown away because I don't think this would be this easy right now in our <laughs> world. Um, I got a bank loan and I had nothing. Like I was still living at home. I didn't own anything. It yeah. was just me, you know, 21 years old. I'm opening a dance studio. Bank loan was given somehow. I gave the old studio owner the money. And all I was buying, and, and I, I still laugh because I, I don't know how my dad or my mom thought this was a good idea now that I look back on it. I wasn't buying anything except for a disc because we still had discs for computers. Right. And it was a disc of names of people that danced in the studio that I had to call and just hope that they would dance with me. I wasn't allowed to call the studio the same name. So the last, I think, I think she'd run it for 15-ish years for 15 years, we'd established a name in in the city. I wasn't allowed to have that same name. I was only allowed to stay in the studio space for the month of September. I had to be out of October by October. So I bought the studio in August. Yeah, we started the season obviously in September, as we always do here. And within that next month, I then had to be out into a new location. So, so you I had to
1: like fast track,
0: fast track, renovate find a location, and I knew nothing. Like, it was like, just, you may as well, I just, you just threw me in. Like, yeah. I had no idea. I didn't know how to run a business. I knew how to teach dance. I knew I was good at that. I had grown up in the studio, luckily, so parents knew who I was. They knew my work ethic. They knew that I was always there for everything because I student taught like crazy. Like, I student taught all, I took all the classes I could, whether they were higher level, lower level, my level, I took everything. I student taught everything. I helped out whenever there was. I lived at the studio. Yeah. So, they knew me. Which I guess was the blessing that they followed me because not everybody would. So when she sold the studio to me, there was 500 students. And the first year, 300 of them came with me.
1: I mean, that's that's a lot. Mm-hmm. That's great.
0: Mm-hmm. So I'm lucky because not a lot of people, I mean, usually start out with zero students. It started out with zero, but at least I had a phone list. So yeah. I phone and phone and phone. <laughs> this is who I am. I'm Krista. I'm now going to run the studio. And people
1: trusted. Mm-hmm.
0: Again, amazing. I was really young.
1: I was really young. I was twenty-one. I cannot imagine this happening like now. No. I can't imagine a twenty-one-year-old going to the bank getting a loan. <laughs> no, opening a studio. It's just
0: no. Well, I look at our students who are you know graduating and turning twenty mm-hmm. twenty-one, and I'm like, I would never let them run a dog club. <laughs> so it's it's weird. I'm yeah. I, just different. I'm a different person. So yeah. So. Took over the studio, called, spent August calling all the people, got the classes started. I was a teacher. Um, I right when the studio was selling, they were in transition of hiring this new teacher, so she just kind of came with me. I didn't know if she could actually teach. She turned out to be great. And then my high my long term dance friend, who was already also kind of teaching, decided to stay with me as well. So we opened up with three teachers. We had the month of September in the old studio location while we renovated a new location. Right. And, you know, there was trial and error with that. It was hard to get everything up and running. Um, We chose a location that was quite highly visible. Like it was in a good spot, strip mall kind of area, a good parking lot. But that came with a cost, a very high cost which you know hurt me later like that that's the situation you don't want to be paying paying high rent that's why we see studios in, where they are where they are yeah. industrial second floor this was a beautiful building um it was the best we could find at the time we thought it might work it really really for those first five years kind of killed me where i didn't really think we'd be able to keep going um but yeah so we moved in october to the new spot and that was also confusing because you had to get parents to read letters that you sent home because we didn't have no email. No yeah, Like, we say. had computers, no <laughs> computers. But people, people <laughs> weren't emailing like they are today, obviously. Yeah, like it was
1: definitely dial-up.
0: Oh, yeah. Like, I got my first cell phone for yeah. the studio. That was my phone for the studio was my cell phones. <laughs> so I called everybody off this little cell phone and myself and a couple of my friends and my dad and my mom. We renovated the new studio space. We moved in there in October. We had a huge like welcome party and we were off and we were off running. So it was, it was, that was how I got started. Uh, We are in Canada is our location. So I know it's probably different for some of you in the States or other parts of the world, but that's, you know, that's my startup story. So I never really intended necessarily to be a dance teacher, I was going to be a school teacher, Mm -hmm. but the second this came up, I'm like, okay, well, why wouldn't I do this? It's my passion. Yeah. I love dance. I didn't really feel like I needed to go to school to be a teacher. I knew how to handle kids. I knew how to teach dance at least. Yeah. So I just was in the right place at the right time. And, you know, I think a lot of my success went to the fact that it was my home studio that I grew up in that was being sold to me. So I had already kind of built that trust with the customers having them move forward.
1: Yeah, you definitely walked into like a good situation. It just happened to be like right place, right time. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, nineteen years later, we're still kicking. The first five super hard, super hard. You guys, uh, we thought we were going to have to close. I mean, our rent was high. We were paying over five thousand dollars a month, and that was nineteen years ago. We we're spending paying over five hundred dollars a month, five hundred dollars a month, five thousand dollars a month, for the location. You know, you don't have dance in the summers. You're trying to build up your clientele and just so many things you don't know. You don't know the overhead. You don't know that everything adds up, including every square of toilet paper, every bit of cleaner, every bit of paper towel. These are not jobs where any of that is provided. And that's a thing that parents still to this day don't understand. They don't know everything we pay for because it all just kind of looks like it's done. And it is done because as studio owners, we're doing it. But at the end of the day, there's a ton of bills. And I think that was my biggest thing in my first five years is I didn't realize that all that stuff was going to fall on me so heavily where my bills were going to be so extreme. Plus, I had this high rent. So even at the end of that fifth year, in those first five, it was a conversation of, I actually don't know if I can do this or not anymore. I don't know if it's going to work. I don't know if enough customers are going to come back. I don't know if I can pay the bills. I can hardly make it through the summer. How do we do this? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Especially now. I feel like it's probably coming around and kicking you in the butt a little bit in the sense that COVID Mm -hmm. is happening. And there's so much like cleaner decals. Yeah. Paper towel, like Lysol everywhere. So it's, All these people just think this comes out of nowhere, but... Yeah. Oh, they totally
0: do. But I think, you know, working as I did in those first five years and struggling and seeing really how I had to buckle down on costs and what had to come from where might have been a really good lesson moving forward into this COVID world that we're in right now. But um, I definitely, I definitely after the fifth year where it was this big, tough conversation of should I close my doors, call it quits... And do I don't know what with my life? Or do we move the studio, push forward, Mm -hmm. and just see what we can do? And obviously, that's what I did. Because here we are, 19 19 years years, later. 19 years have passed. (laughs) Uh, We have, you know, roughly 1,000 children dancing in our studio. A little bit less right now because of COVID. And we've done really well. We have been really lucky, really fortunate. And I've learned a ton along the way, which is what this podcast is going to be about. All the things I've learned, all the stories that have happened, um, crazy stories, crazy parent stories, crazy kid stories, just crazy situational stories, um, you know, really just kind of everything as a, a way to make you guys feel less isolated or just to give you some bits of advice along the way. So I think that's it for today.
1: Yeah, yeah, I well, think pretty we're good.
0: good. Okay, follow us uh, on Instagram at pod. Behind the Bar, obviously that's B-A-R-R-E, because we're dancers, (laughs) Behind the Bar Pod, or you can email us at behindthebarpodcast at gmail.com, and we can answer any questions you might have. All right, you guys, have a great day. We'll see you next time, Behind the Bar.